Adventure. We're in this series called Awaken the Adventure. If you weren't here last weekend, let me encourage you to jump in on the podcast and catch up to that, kind of know where we are. It's a great way for you to actually stay connected if you have to be uh, out on a weekend and miss a weekend service to jump on the podcast. So we're talking about what it means to sort of discover the plan that God has in your life, the purpose that God has for your life, that, that there's something inside of you that God's called you to. And it's not mediocre, and it's not average, and it's not just you know lazy and, and kind of laying back. It's actually an amazing purpose that God has in your life. And really, my goal over the next couple of weeks, my goal in this series, is to sort of wake that thing up in you. The Bible would say it like this, to stir up the gift of God that's in you. It's that waking up, that stirring up, that gift that God put inside of you. And so I want to I help you walk through that today. Ephesians says it like this. Ephesians 2 and 10 says, For we are God's workmanship. In other words, we said last week that you're a masterpiece. And if you are a masterpiece, then there, there must be a master plan. You're, you're, a, you're God's workmanship. He, he's crafted you, created you in Christ Jesus, not to just live and die and pay the bills, but for good works. In other words, He has something for you to do with your life. That your life is more than just paychecks and promotions and school and college and marriage and three kids and, and, and six kids. I don't know why you'd have six kids, but anyway, whatever. And th- there's more to your life. And, the, and then retirement and, and you know, living on the beach and wearing shorts that are too short and, and long tube socks and, the, and then just dying. That There's more to your life than that life. That God's prepared for you good works, which God prepared for you, listen, not as you go along in your life, not just haphazardly, not well, I, okay, they went that way, maybe I have something for them there. No, the Bible says God prepared all of that beforehand so that His plan was that you would walk in them, that you would find out what that thing is and not just discover that purpose, that adventure that you have in your life, that thing God called you to do, but really get up every day and start walking towards that thing. I, I love that the Bible didn't say you got to run towards it. Didn't say you got to sprint towards it. Didn't say you got to figure it all out tomorrow. It did say that you got to get up every day and start walking in the way that God's called in your life. And that's the adventure I believe God has for you. I believe I really believe God has an adventure more than just average. I think God has something prepared for you that that before you're even born is an adventure that He wants you to walk in. Here's the way I define adventure. If you're taking notes, write this down. An adventure is just to engage in a hazardous or or an exciting activity, but especially, listen close, I read this definition, especially the exploration of, underline this, or write this really big in your notes, unknown territory. I want you to go to somewhere that you may have never gone before. An adventure is not just, well, this is familiar, this way we've always done it, this is the way my family was always raised. We've always been in this trap, we've always been in this cycle. Dad was an alcoholic, granddaddy was an alcoholic, his daddy was an alcoholic. I guess this is the way that my life will go. Well, my people, always, we've always had problems with our anger and our temper, and so that's just how I was born. It's just how we were done. I, I don't know. We've never really been faithful to anything, you know. This is just how we kind of come here and come there and go there, and it doesn't... Listen, it may be unknown territory for you. As a matter of fact, I think it probably is if it's an adventure God called you to. It may be uncomfortable for you or unknown to you, but that doesn't mean that it's not what God's called you to. It, it, it's against mediocre. It, it's, it's actually an adventure. Listen, the adventure God's called you to is hazardous to mediocrity. It's not hazardous to you or your health, but it is hazardous to the status quo. It's hazardous to this is meaningless existence. It, it's hazardous to your comfort zone. Would you write that in big, no, big letters on your notes somewhere? 
that, that, that write the word comfort zone. I, I, I want to talk about what it's like inside of your comfort zone. I, I grew up in, I'm a kid of the 80s, or early 80s, and, and then 90s is really sort of when I came into, where are all my 90s kids at? Where are y'all at right now, 90s kids? And, and, and Brandy and I were talking about this the other day. In the like 80s and 90s, we had malls, like real malls that you walk through. And, and like, when's the last time you went to the mall and just walked through a, like, like an indoor mall? It's been forever, it, honestly. Now, there's so many strip centers and strip stores. You know, you just sort of go into whatever store you want to go to. You go to Lock and Tear, it's close to us, and it's outdoors. That's probably as close as I've come to it. But it's been a while since we just we went on a Friday night to the mall. But we used to date at the mall. You know what I'm talking about? You go to the mall, and that would, your mama would drop you off, and she'd be like, I'll pick you back up at Sears at 9 o'clock. All right, Mama, don't come. But my Mama would come. She'd come to the mall, and I, we'd be walking around, and I'd see her sneaking over there, like sneaking through. The, what are you doing, Mama? Oh, you thought I was going to drop you off. I ain't going to drop you off at no mall, boy. We'd go to the mall. We'd hang out. And one of my favorite stores that we would go to the mall, this, I don't even know if this store exists anymore. I haven't seen them in forever. It was a sharper image. Anybody know what the sharper image? You remember? Or Brookstone. You remember Brookstone? You'd go into this, and they have all these cool gadgets and all this cool stuff. It was before Best Buy. It was before Amazon. It was all this. And you got to pick it all up and, like, play with it. You know what I'm talking about? And I'd go in there, and I was one of those. I was a, oh, gosh. It's so embarrassing. You embarrass your whole family. They had these massaging things, you know what I'm talking about? Like, and you just, they were plugged in, so you're supposed to use them. You'd be like, dude, dude, massage my back. You'd be like, bro, I'm not going to massage your back in front of everybody. <laughs> I was like, no, like use, the, you know, like, use the thing. And they had these at, at the mall I grew up in. So I was a teenager in North Carolina in, in, in my teenage years. And the mall that I went to in, in our little town, they had massaging chairs in the front of the store. You know what I'm talking about, massaging chairs? And I'd go sit, like all of your friends, everybody, you just go sit in that, mas- that massaging chair. People would pass by you, and you'd just be all up in this chair being like, <laughs> and your eyes all closed. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Don't act like y'all never got in a massaging chair. Don't act like you wouldn't do it if you had one today. I'd be all up in it. I'd lay back all up in it. I'd, just, I'd be like, oh, y'all come get me. And you, just, you look over at your boy and be like, I'm never leaving here ever again. I'm never, I'm never going home. Tell my mama I love her. And people would be passing by you, and you just had no shame whatsoever. Because I was in that massaging chair. I ain't trying to get out of this. I got no shame. I'd be taking my sweater off like I'm going to get comfortable. I got, to, I got to get comfortable off in this chair because this is the best thing I've ever done. I just, you just lay back. You, how many of you got your grandpa goes to the store and gets in the chair while you're shopping and falls asleep? Where you at on that? You'd be like, Papa, get up. All embarrassing me up in this chair. But when you but when you have a when you have a comfortable chair like that, it's hard to get up. It's hard. You don't care who's passing by. You don't care who's looking at you. I'm tired. I'm in this comfortable chair. You lose all sense of pride. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Listen to me. There's some people who have sacrificed, some of us like comfort so much that we've sacrificed the call of God in our life for the comfort of the chair that we like. 
that we're sacrificing our comfort, staying where you are. Listen, I know what it's like when you just get in that chair and you think, man, I don't want to get out of this. Like, I, I can't get up right now. I love what I'm doing right now. Staying where you are may be comfort, but write this sentence down. This is the big idea today. Comfort and callings do not go hand in hand. Rarely can you stay in your chair of comfort and, and, and listen and follow and obey the call of God in your life. Because comfort and the calling that God has on you do not go hand in hand. So you have a choice today. Am I going to take God's challenge in my life? Or am I going to sit in comfort's chair? Am I going to take God's challenge for what He wants me to do, where He wants me to go, how He wants me to live my life, the purpose that He has for me, the adventure He's called me to, or... Will I live my life in this chair watching the world go by at the mall? And everybody else making progress. And everybody else's life moving towards God. And moving the, everybody else's marriage getting healthier. Everybody else's finances, God moving. And everybody else drawing close to God at 6 a.m. prayer. thought I'd throw that in. And I'm going to sit back in this chair comfortable with my feet up cuz cuz I don't want to I don't want to go and listen you are you are always you are constantly both of those things are constantly calling for you. You, you both of them are constantly drawing you do I get up and go or do I sit in my comfortable chair do I get up and make a make a move do I do I go to growth track do I get on the team do I join a group do I make progress Am I, do, do I decide I've got to I've got to do more with my life or do I just stay back because you cannot go on adventure listen as long as you don't leave the chair if you never leave the chair, you will not go on the adventure God has in your life. And honestly, it's going to be different for everybody in the room. That chair is going to be different. Maybe God's called some of you to make a major life change, honestly, like, like a big deal. And, and, and maybe, maybe you know, it's moving, it's, it's missions, it's God's calling you to do something amazing with your life. Or maybe God's just simply calling you to have greater passion and greater perspective, and He's trying to change that. Or maybe... That calling for some of you is, is to finally go to marriage counseling. It's to finally go back to college. It's to finally go on a missions trip. It's to finally take that class it's at work to get the promotion that God has for you. Or, or, or to manage the people that report to you with more integrity. Or maybe it's to open a business. Or maybe it's to start tithing. Some of you haven't trusted God in your tithing. And this is the year God's calling you and saying, hey, that first percentage of your income, it belongs to God anyway. And you think, man, I don't know if I can do both of these. Comfort and calling. Or maybe it's joining a connect group. You think, man, he's talked about that. I've been here a year and I've never got connected with anybody in this church. Maybe it's going to growth track today after second service. Just joining the team, getting on the dream team, showing up, giving everything that you've got. But you can't do both because comfort and callings do not go hand in hand. You can't get up and go where God called you and stay in your chair of comfort. You can't get there if you stay here. Say amen to that. You cannot get there if you stay here. You can't hold on to point A if you want to get to point B. That's why Paul said it this way in Philippians. He said, I press on. Would you write that down? I press on toward the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. How do you press on if you're leaning back? How can you press on to what God's called you to if you're leaned back in your chair of comfort, in your comfort zone? 
How do you press on to where God's going? You, you, you can't press towards something that, that you're going to until you evaluate where you are and what's keeping you there. You just can't press on unless you decide, what is this chair? Like, what's the thing in my life? Where, well, what am I really doing sitting here? How did I get here in the first place? I don't even know where this went off the rails, but somewhere in my life, I just kicked my feet up and said, I guess this is how it's always going to be. This is my always spiritual life. This is the way it's always going to go in my life. I'm just going to lean back. This is the marriage I'm always going to have. This is church for me. I just get up. I go. I go home. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to hear about it. I certainly don't want to get in a group because then somebody's going to call me and find out why I didn't come to church last Sunday. I don't want to go to growth track because if I go to growth track, then they're going to put me on a team. If they put me on a team, somebody's going to expect me to be there. I'm going to have to smile. I don't like smiling on Sunday. And I just sit back. And if you don't know how you got here and you don't know what that comfort is, you don't know what that thing is inside of you, you can't ever get out, you can't ever go forward if you don't know how you got where you are. You, what is your comfortable chair? Would you write that down below where you said comfort zone? What is the thing that's kept you back? What's your comfortable chair? Because listen, write this down. You can't get to your destination until you establish your point of departure. You can't get where God's called you to. Some of you have been asking this week, what is the great adventure God's called me on? Like, what's the purpose He keeps talking about? What's that thing inside of me? Well, listen, the reason you can't decide where you're going is because you don't know where you are. You haven't defined your your point of departure. When you get on Google Maps, it it tells you where do you want to go, and you type in where do you want to go, and what's the next question it asks you? What's your current location? Where are you coming from? Because I can't get where I'm going if I don't know where I am. My point of departure. This is the thing that I have to deal with. I have to ask God, God, you're going to have to deal with this chair in my life because it's holding me back from where you've called me to. God, you're going to have to help me to get out of this chair. Anybody ever been there? Come on, somebody. You're going to have to help me get out of this chair. My my, my grandmother got older. God, She may listen to the podcast. Nanny, I love you if you're listening. Her kids got together, my mom and dad and my aunts and uncles got together and got her a chair. You know, see, my grandmother's in her 80s, served God. She still shows up. She's at church this morning, by the way, everybody. Showed up to church every day of my, every day of my life. But to get up out of her chair, she bought her that chair that, that, that pushes you out. You know what I'm talking about? It like lifts you up for you. I go to Nanny's house, I'm like, Nanny, let me get in that chair, girl. <laughs> you sit over there, let me get in there. Because if I get a nap, sometimes I need help getting up. <laughs> Some, some of you have, have sat in your comfort zone so long, you may need help getting up. You may need a little help pulling you out. That's why Hebrews says it like this. Therefore, we are surrounded by such a huge cloud and crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip away, listen, every weight, everything that holds me down and slows me down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Then, and only then, can we run The race with endurance that God has set before us. You can't run your race until you get rid of the weights that's in your life. Write this sentence down. It's not in your notes. It's not on the screen. But everything that stops you is not sin. Some of it's just weight. Everything that stops you isn't sin. The Bible, listen, Paul, the the writer of Hebrews, I think the writer of Hebrews... He separated the idea of weight and sin. He said there's weights and then there's sin. Everything that stops you isn't a sin in your life. But there's some stuff you're just going to have to get rid of that's a weight. It's a distraction in your life. Let me give you an example. Can your prayer life be stopped in its tracks because of Netflix? Oh boy. 
Is Netflix a sin? God, I hope not. But can it become a weight that holds you back from really leaning into God? I, I, I want to pray, but I can't. I, I, I'm, I'm addicted to this thing. Is it, is it a sin? No. But it's a weight that's holding me back. It's a distraction. Well, what's more important, late night Netflix or Jesus in the morning at 6 a.m.? I just can't get up at 6 a.m. But you can binge watch until 2 a.m. I'm pastoring you right now. Y'all don't even know it. Because there's weights that God, there's weights that we've just, it's kept us all the way down. What's more important, talk radio or or a podcast where where, where I'm feeding myself the word? What's more important, Facebook and Instagram or my YouVersion Bible app? None of that is sinful. But all of that can be a weight that keeps me back in this chair of comfort where I won't lean into my calling. Shout amen to that. And distractions can be dangerous if you're not careful. Being distracted can be dangerous. You, 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 start, you, you end up distracted going the wrong way down a runway street. I remember when I first bought my truck. When I moved to Texas, one of the first things I did is bought a truck. Come on, somebody. Because you're in Texas, you pastor in Texas, you got to drive a truck. So I drive a Ford F-150, a big one, jacked up, big F-150. But it couldn't be too jacked up because I'm too small. And I didn't want to have to get a step stool. And roll it out and then just kind of hop off of it. When I got it, it had XM Sirius, Sirius XM Radio. You know, talking about that free trial for six months, and I'm I'm cheap, dude. I'm just I'm staying with the trial, you know. I ain't trying to pay a dollar a month or whatever whatever it is. And I had that XM Radio, man. I had the, had the eight like there's eighties on eight. Anybody know what I'm talking about right now? Eighties yeah, on eight, bro. I grew up with that stuff, and I remember one day I just got my truck windows down. I don't know, women were honking at me, whatever, anyway, and, and the windows were down, and 80s music was blaring, and I, just in my head, I just, I, man, I was in fanny packs, and Steven Seagal movies, and parachute pants, and hammer pants, and side ponytails, and L.A. gear gel, come on somebody, and members only jackets, and 80s vanilla ice, I'm talking about real vanilla ice, and before I knew it, I was thinking about dicing my eyebrows, and putting like, cutting a lightning bolt in the back of my head. And I was just there, bro. I was somewhere. I was in 1985, and I got there. And all of a sudden, there's this honk right behind me. And I had traffic so far back behind me. I had literally stopped, and I was somewhere else, y'all. And it was, it was dangerous because distractions can be dangerous. I got distracted by something in my past, and it was causing a disruption to my present, and it could have possibly destroyed my future. I was distracted thinking about something in my past that was disrupting where I was in my present. And if if not dealt with quickly, it could have caused an accident and, and destroyed my future. Listen, Satan can't destroy your destiny. He cannot destroy your destiny. God is in control of your destiny. But you are in control of your destination. Let me say that again because you didn't catch it. Satan cannot destroy your destiny. God said before you were born, I knew you, I consecrated you, and I anointed you. I got something for you to do. I got purpose for you. I've already got destiny decided for you. God's got a a bright future, a hope, Jeremiah says for you. Satan cannot destroy your destiny. However, you are in control of your destination. And so if Satan can distract you, he will delay you. 
If he can't destroy your destination, he'll just distract you from your calling and thereby delaying you to get where it is God called you to be. I'm preaching better than you're amening. He'll just put distractions in your life that, you think, that aren't bad, aren't sin, but you've allowed them to distract you from your calling. And then before you know it, you check up and you're 62 years old and you haven't done the thing God called you to do. You were delayed 30 years. I can't tell you the number of people that come to church at 50, 55, 60 years old, 40, 42 years old and say, I wish I would have known this in my 20s. I wish I would have given God everything when I was 19. I wish I would have lived my 30s differently. Why? Because I lived distracted. The enemy distracted me and delayed God's calling in my life. And if you're not careful, you'll stay in the same place too long. You'll stay in that chair of comfort before you know it. There's so much distraction going on that you don't get up and go to your calling. If it's distracting you from a relationship with God, let me tell you something. Try to live without it for a while. If it's distracting you, listen to me, especially 20-somethings, 30-somethings, if it's distracting you from a relationship with God, try living without it for a while. Then you'll know. That's what fasting really is. Honestly, fasting is just, it removes distractions from us. Because when I remove all the distractions in my life, suddenly there's clarity there. Suddenly there's stuff there. But if I don't remove distractions, some of them will become sin, addictions, and attitudes, and inability to control my temper, and, and destructive relationships. Can I, can, I, can I take two more minutes and pastor you shake your head this way if you're okay with that? Listen, some of us need a friendectomy. You know what that is? That's where you cut friends completely out of your life that aren't good for you. You just need a friendectomy. You just need to say, listen, this was, this was okay when I was a kid. It was all right when we were 19 and 20. But I got a purpose in my life. And I can't find my purpose if I'm distracted by all the foolishness you're pulling on Friday night. I got to cut you out so I can move on. I'm preaching so good I'm spitting. Y'all don't even know about this. Y'all better wipe up. This is a splash zone. Listen, I got to cut some stuff out of me. I, 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 I don't have time to waste. I cannot be delayed on where God's called me to. I got stuff to do. I got places to go. I got somebody that God's called me to be. And if I, if I can't get to my calling with you in it, then you got to get out of it because I will not sacrifice my calling for you. Shout amen to that, everybody. Some of you need to, need to quit dating him or her for just a while and find out how your spiritual life gets. If it gets better, cut it off. You, you don't know how far along we are. I don't care if you're engaged and your wedding is Monday night. Cut it off. That's how important your calling is to me. Why would you sacrifice your calling and the purpose God has in your life? Why would you do that? Why would you allow Satan to distract you? And then you go get married and 20 years later you show back up in a life-giving church and a preacher like me says, Why did it take you so long to get here? It's because I was distracted. You got to cut that stuff off. You got to cut addiction. You got to walk away from ungodly relationships, unhealthy friendships, addictions, bad attitudes. Uh, listen, every bad habits. Are, I'm not, now listen, listen to me, married people. I'm not telling you you can leave your unhappy marriage. Come on, somebody. Some of y'all going home right now saying he said I could. He said cut you off. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> I'm not talking about walking away from your marriage that's struggling, but listen to me. I am talking about walking away from the attitude that got your marriage in that problem in the first place. 
You don't have to walk away from him to be able to walk away from what got you in the problem that you're in with him. You don't have to walk away from her. you got to walk away from lust. Listen, you can't lust after one woman that's not your wife and keep the woman that is your wife. Good God. Y'all better not tell second service. I'm coming after them. Married folks, listen. You can't speak negatively over your husband and affirm your marriage at the same time. How can you come to me and and say, Pastor, I pray for my marriage when all you do is talk negative about it? How am I supposed to go to God and ask for a miracle when every time you walk home you call him dummy and a bunch of other stuff I can't say in this microphone? Because you you got to walk, you don't have to walk away from him. You got to walk away from the attitude that got your marriage in that situation. You got to cut it off. You got to walk away from it. Because Satan's trying to distract me. And if he can distract me, then he'll delay me. There's some things in our life we have to just get up out of the chair and walk away. No matter how mundane or ordinary you think your life is, you say, man, we don't have like, I don't have any of that. But listen, if you're going to go to the great adventure God has for you, it's going to require some action on your part. I promise you that. There will be something you have to leave behind. No better is that illustrated than the Old Testament story of a man named Elisha. Elijah is the prophet of God. Matter of fact, Elijah until this moment is the greatest prophet of God who has ever lived. He did many miracles and God had anointed him and all of Israel looked to him as this mighty man and prophet of God. And Elisha is a young man who has an ordinary job, just an ordinary average job at Target. Come on somebody. He's just just average, just $10 an hour, just a normal thing. And Elijah the prophet of God is about to leave the earth. Elijah's going, God's called him away. God's called him to something else. God's looking for, listen, God's looking for the person that he could anoint for the next season. Listen, City Hills, God's looking for a church like ours that he could anoint for the next season of revival in Central Texas. God's looking for people like us. And He's saying, man, I just wish I had a church that would pray and fast and get in the Word and worship with all they've got and invite their friends and bring people. And, and if you'll do that, I'll perform miracles. And that's what God was doing. God was looking for what's next. And so here's the story in 1 Kings 19. So Elijah went from there. And he found Elisha. Don't get these names mixed up. Elijah is the old prophet and Elisha is the young man. And he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. A normal mundane job and he said and he himself was driving the 12th in other words there were 12 yoke and there were other people working with him but he was just one of the 12 he wasn't even in charge of the whole thing you say man my my job's average I don't even know what you're talking about with problems like my marriage is okay everything's just average we're just getting by that's where Elisha was I'm just one of these 12 and Elijah the old prophet went up to him and threw his cloak around him threw his coat around his shoulders when, and when Elijah's cloak, his, his coat lands on Elisha, dense with destiny, this is how Elisha responded. And Elisha then left his oxen, no questions asked, ran after the old prophet and said, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. Wait, what did I miss? Did Elijah ever tell him to follow me? Never. Did Elijah ever say, hey, listen, bub, I got a proposition. Let's go to coffee. I want to talk to you. I got a business plan. I think, this, I think you could take over this prophet situation. And 
I'll cut you in 50% until I retire and then we'll increase your percentage and then I'll decrease and then by the time I'm 70 years old, the whole profit thing will be yours. None of that. He just throws his coat on him. And Elisha, oh God, Elisha feels destiny come on top of him. And immediately runs after Elijah and says, then I'll come with you. And Elijah says, go back. What have I done to you? I don't even know know what you're talking about. I didn't ask you to do nothing. So Elisha left him and went back and took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered every one of them and burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat. Gave it to everybody and they ate. Could you imagine everybody in town going, Elisha lost his mind. But he's barbecuing and who turns around brisket? Come on, somebody. (laughs) Crazy man with brisket, I'm down. Then he set out to follow Elijah and becomes his servant. Listen to me. Burning the plows had no practical value to Elisha or anybody else. There was no good reason. He could have given those plows to the next guy and said, Guys, I've decided to do something else in my life. Here's my uniform. Here's my plows. I'm not even going to clock out. I'm just going to go. But Elisha didn't do that. He burns everything there. You know why? Because it was symbolic. He was making a decisive break from his old life. He was, he was telling everybody that was looking on him, I am not going to have a plan B to this. I'm not going to keep my options open. It sounds good. Listen, but some of us like to keep our old life around handy just in case this God thing doesn't work out. I'm going to follow you, but just in case, y'all keep, my, y'all keep this plow warm, okay? Because I may be back. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to try this out for a little while. If this doesn't work, I'll be back. We'll try that out for a little while. And Elisha says, no, none of that. It's like when you start a relationship. Come on, somebody. You change your Facebook status. Uh, it, on, on, on Facebook, it's single. And, 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 then, and, then, and then it goes to in a relationship. And then you, everybody knows. And then after a little while, you take it back to it's complicated. <laughs> you know why you change it to it's complicated? Just to keep your options open. Just so nobody knows you're taken yet. Just so, just in case things don't work out. Listen, let me, let, me, let me tell you this as strongly as I can tell you. I'm asking this church, stop dating your destiny. Stop dating your destiny. Go all in for what God has for your life. Just decide, I don't have a plan B. I'm not going back. I'm not keeping the plows. Burn it all to the ground. I'm never coming back to what I've got. I'm never going back where I came. Stop dating your destiny. Stop living for God one way on Sunday and then by Wednesday, I'm back to the plows. This is not God's will in your life to just date and say, well, I don't know. Listen, you need to marry the destiny God has for you. You need to put a ring on it. Come on, somebody. You need to put a ring on it and marry what God has. A couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, Hurricane Harvey swept through Houston. You know that? And the Gulf Bend, the Gulf Coast. And we went down with our outreach team. Our serve team went down. We were cleaning out this house of a, of, of a friend, uh, Carla's mother's home. I, I know Carla. I know her mother. And she owns two homes. This home was completely devastated. Absolutely devastated. If you were there, you know it. Just, it's a, just absolute utter destruction. Everything was covered in water. It was covered in mold. I mean, we were down to the studs and they were wet. Everything. Everything was covered in sludge. And I remember we were there all day. I remember walking in and out of the house. You know, we would go in and we would, we would tear stuff out and we'd put it in wheelbarrows. And we'd go outside and breathe fresh air. And then we'd go back in. And, and you, 
every time I walked back in, I couldn't. Re- I, it's like for the first time. I didn't realize how bad it smelled. You know what I'm talking about? And then after the course of the day, we get back in the truck. We drive all the way back home that night. And we're looking at each other going, y'all stink. It's all over us. Because, listen, while you're in it, you can't smell it. It's that bad. It's like those Febreze commercials. You know what I'm talking about? You get nose blind. You know what I mean? You can't tell. Listen, anything in your life, listen to me. We did not leave one thing in that house. Why? Because everything that smelled that way had to go. Everything that smells like your old life has to go. Everything. Everything. Everything that smells like it. There's some stuff in your life that if you do not tear it out, it will tear you up. You can put new sheetrock on top of it, but mold's growing underneath it. I'm helping you right now. There's some stuff in your life that you need to go back in and open it up and say, I didn't tear that out when I left him. I didn't tear out all that bitterness. I got to get all that stuff out of here. I didn't tear none of that out. I, didn't, I, I left my options open. I, didn't, I, I walked away from this habit, but I kept it on my phone. I kept that application on my phone so I could just check him out, check her out. I got to tear it all out. Why? Because if you don't tear it out, it will tear. It will start growing inside of you. It doesn't matter how much you put over. You can't build over mold, somebody. You can't build over rot. It will come through. It will always come through. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. And some of you, that's your spiritual life. Bullet holes in your life. And we just have Band-Aids. Listen, your plow are the chains that keep you chained to the ordinary. Anything could be uh, the chains in your life. Old paradigms, life that's too safe. You just got to surrender all of that stuff to God. You got to get out of that comfortable place. It's always a matter of surrender. It's always a matter of surrendering it to God. Because what you won't surrender, write this down, what you won't surrender becomes your responsibility to maintain. What you will not surrender to God becomes your responsibility to maintain. If you still own it, God says, I can't maintain that. I can't fix that part of you. I don't have that part of you. How can I fix what you haven't given me? If you don't surrender it, you got to maintain it, baby. If you don't give it to God, you got to nurse that habit. you got to nurse that bitterness. you got to go to bed every night with that anger and temptation and lust and problems. If I were you, I would just go to God and go, Okay, God, here's everything of me. I don't, have, I don't need any of this anymore. I can't do this anymore. It's all yours. Surrender is your greatest weapon. Come on, Henry. Surrender is your greatest weapon. That's why James 4 says it like this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And resist the devil. And if you'll surrender, he will flee from you. But it starts with submission to God. It starts with surrender. God, here's my chair. Here's the stuff. I don't even know how I got here. I just was passing by. I sat down for a minute. Now I can't get up. God, I don't even know where. Listen, true freedom comes from praying, God, whatever you call me to, I'll do whatever. I'll go wherever. I'll give whatever you want me to. And the moment you do that, listen, then all of the weights transferred from you to God. Now it's His responsibility to maintain. Now, now the God that is bigger than any problem in your life, now He's carrying what it was you were cracking under the weight of. 
You can't carry the weight on your own. You just got to go to God. Listen, there's some stuff in your life that's a comfort zone, a bad habit, an attitude, an unhealthy relationship, a way of thinking. What are you walking away from? What calling? Listen to me. What calling are you walking away from because you're simply scared of the outcome? What's the greatest purpose of your life? What's the great adventure? What's that noble cause that will outlive you and leave a legacy beyond your life? Listen to me. I am more afraid of a lifelong regret than of a temporary uncertainty. I am more afraid of a lifelong regret than a temporary uncertainty. I'm more afraid of not following God and then looking back over my life and going, God, why didn't I do that? Then I am the uncertainty. It's why we started this church. That's why Brandy and I left behind everything, burned the plows. We don't have another plan, everybody. I didn't leave a 401k. I didn't leave the door open. We just said, okay, here we go. Why? Because I, I, I was more afraid of looking back over my life and God going, you remember that time I called you? To, and I, Yeah, God, I didn't know how it was going to work out. Yeah, well, you missed hundreds and thousands of people missed an opportunity to find life and hope. I was more afraid of the regret of that than I was the temporary uncertainty of what I'd do. And so Elisha gives up everything to follow Elijah. And listen, here's the end of the story and then we'll go. At the end of Elijah's life, Elijah's called into heaven. (laughs) And Elisha received a double portion. The Bible calls it a double portion of the anointing of Elijah. Rest on top of Elisha. Double the miracles. Double the divine anointing in his life. Double the prophetic utterances. The nation of Israel now looks to Elisha as this amazing prophet of God with twice as much anointing on him as Elijah. Why did that happen? Listen, your your, your radical act of obedience, burning your plows, it will not automatically solve all of your problems. It may create some new ones for you. You getting up out of that chair won't solve everything. It it may create, you may have a hard conversation with her, with him, with that group of friends. You you may have to, to, listen, it may take you years to understand why did I have to burn the plows like that? But the moment that Elijah leaves and that double portion comes on you, listen, after you burn the plows, it's only a matter of time before there's more anointing than you've ever experienced in your life. I'll go further than that. It's only a matter of time before there's more anointing than anybody in your family has ever experienced. Elijah had no idea what it was like to have twice the anointing. There's some stuff, look into my eyes. There's some stuff God's called you to that nobody's ever even seen before. Nobody's experienced what you could experience. Nobody's gone where you could go. Nobody's done what you could do with your life. But you got to leave it behind. Got to get out of that chair. Got to get out of that comfort zone. Got to go after your call.